give today uh, for this. Uh, just to tell you a little bit more about what it is, Brother Albert's mentioned we lead a ministry called World Missions and Evangelism, and we're so thankful to have uh, this church right here as, as a partner with us in the gospel. And, uh, and when you give uh, to missions like that and when you give to this offering today, what we're going to do is we have a little machine called a mega voice machine. It's about the size of an iPhone. This is not a mega voice. I actually have one in the car, uh, but uh, we won't worry about it right now. I, uh, but uh, what we have on it, it's a little audio machine. It's a little bit like an MP3 player, but it's not really an MP3 player. It was specifically designed, and they, these are manufactured in Tiberias, Israel. And uh, the, uh, these uh, are shipped all over the world. And uh, they are designed for people that cannot read. Uh, and they just have buttons on them that anybody can learn. And we put on these something that our ministry has developed uh, almost a year, 48 weeks of Bible studies. 48 weeks. And lesson one, lesson two, so it's the Bible study, it's all the scriptures are read onto it, so they have the scriptures for the Bible study, they have the Bible study questions, and these uh, devices start someone where they do not, as if someone has never even heard of God, knows nothing about God. And it starts with Genesis 1, there is a God and he made everything. How many of you know that's the truth? And then lesson two is God made the family because how many know God made Adam and Eve? And then we talk about the fall into sin. That's lesson three. And by the time we get about, we go about 10 lessons and we go through a, just highlights of the Old Testament. And then we start into the life of Jesus. And we take them through the life of Jesus Christ and his ministry. And then we come to his death and finally his resurrection. And then, glory to God, we go to John chapter 3, you must be born again. And actually that you must be born again is study number 23. And that's the week where we, where we ask people to make a commitment to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lesson 24 is water baptism. And then we have 24 other lessons that takes them through the first six months almost of their Christian life. And these are the Bible studies that we take into villages and we start with a small group, a little bit like I heard this, this uh, we take people like in a home, just like what you're saying is going to be this week. And we take them through these Bible studies and then we use that and we plant churches with them in Latin America, in unreached villages and in, even in cities and towns and unreached villages. And uh, that's called a mega voice. And every time, a, a me to place a mega voice in Honduras costs approximately $35. And every one of those mega voices usually plants two, three, or four groups and churches because they use it and then they reuse it and they reuse it. And uh, we are seeing thousands of people come to Jesus. Uh, ten years ago, actually ten and a half years ago, almost eleven years ago now, uh, because this is April, on May the 1st, 2008, so almost eleven years ago, we started training a group of 1,300 men. We had two missionaries and their families and 13 men. All together, there were 23 people on our training base in, in, uh, in Honduras. And we started with those 23 people and we trained them how to go, how to find the lost, how to, how to make friendships with lost people, how to minister to them, how to gather them together, how to lead these Bible studies. And we started with 23 people in one town in 2008, May the 1st. We started training them on May the 1st, 2008. And today, this is going to sound unbelievable to you. Today, there are over 11,000 groups and churches that have been planted through over 11,000 groups and people. And we have baptized 36,000 people in the last 11 and a half years. 36,000. I didn't say 3,600. I said 36,000 people. And our mind is, here's the amazing thing. It's a movement that's multiplying. Of those 36,000 people that have been baptized, 12,000 of them were baptized last year. We baptized 12,000 people in Honduras last year. 
glory to God. I mean, if that doesn't if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is clean wet. Hallelujah. We're gonna we're gonna take a blow dryer to your wood. We're, we're gonna have to do something here uh, because I mean, twelve thousand people, and it's twenty two generations deep. That means we planted a group that planted a group that planted a group that planted a group that planted a group that. Planted a group that plant, I'm not gonna say it twenty two times, and people are getting saved and water baptized, and groups and churches are being planted by the tens of. We're we're last year thirty five hundred. 3,500 of those groups were planted last year, and 12,000 of those people were baptized last year. And God is moving in an amazing way, and we're involved throughout Central America. We're in five different, uh, five different tribal groups. We have groups among the Garifuna people group in Honduras. We have people uh, with the um, Mosquito Indians. We have people with the Pesh Indians. We have groups with the uh, Tolapanis Indians in, in Argentina. We have 300 groups with the Wichi Indians. We are preparing a translation of our materials. We've already got it all translated in the Wichi language. That's how come there's 300 groups among them. We're preparing it in the Guarani language. Uh, and, uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Damien Pranuk, I don't know if any of you know him, he's a minister over at Christian Fellowship, but he's from Argentina. He lives about a mile from here, that direction, and, uh, and he is formatting the Guarani translation right now. Uh, so about a mile from where you're sitting, the Guarani translation is being formatted, uh, and we're going to be taking these mega voices to a new tribal group there. And God is bringing in a harvest that's unprecedented. In my lifetime and in all of my experience, and so that's what you're part of. That's what you were giving for in that second offering today. And uh, how many of you know God will honor that? And we just bless you in the name of Jesus. By the way, before I get into the word this morning, I want to mention this. I want to mention to you that uh, if any of you are interested, and this isn't something I've put this out on Facebook. I really haven't promoted this hardly at all. It's uh, because it's just a thing that is available. Uh, but we, we're just going to be doing this. If anybody is interested in knowing this strategy that we call disciple-making movement strategy. So what in the world have you been doing to see 36,000 people baptized in the last uh, 10 years? What in the world have you done to multiply that many groups? Well, there's a strategy that God helped us with and led us to through uh, some people that he brought into our lives about 12 or 13 years ago. And we got mentored by them. We learned by them. I went to the mission. I went to Africa to learn it on the field to see what people, how this was being done there. We took it back to Central America, and the rest is history. And this week, we are actually going to be doing a training event in Paducah, a, a two-day training event, and you are welcome to it. Uh, the only cost is if if you want to eat lunch with us on. Friday, it, we're, there's a, we're charging $10, and that's just to buy lunch on Friday. It's Thursday night from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. This Thursday night from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the evening, and then all day Friday and all day Saturday. So from 8.30 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon Friday and Saturday. And it's going to be at Faith Center, and Faith Center is a church in Paducah that's it's on Hanson Road. It's back behind... Uh, Walmart next to the mall. It's over on that side on the Walmart. So it's down that road back there. But uh, Faith Center, at, uh, it'll start at six o'clock this Thursday night, a two and a half day disciple making training. And what we're going to be teaching and training is the exact thing with except for the mega voices because we don't you have the mega we don't use mega voices but we're going to teach people how we do these bible studies what kind of what the order how we how we find people how we how we do the bible studies how we mentor how we disciple we're going to be teaching the whole thing in a two and a half day for those that are interested in seeing that happen in north america if you want to be a part of that all you have to do is show up so that's your invitation, and uh, Thursday night at 6 o'clock at Faith Center, we would, we would love to see any of you that would like a, a training uh, on that, and uh, I'll, be, I'll be doing some of the training. Eric DeHart, who some of you know, uh, who is one of, he's our, un, un, Eric DeHart has spent years as a missionary in Southeast Asia doing this same strategy, and he is now back in the U.S. He's our Unreached People Group Director uh, for WME. He'll be working with us, and David Fackler, who's our Ministry Coordinator, will also be uh, working with us on this. He's trained in this in the islands, in the Caribbean. And so we are uh, uh, going to be doing this this weekend. And Because uh, how many of you know we need a harvest in North America too? Uh, we are living in a mission field. 
Brother Lindell and I were talking about that. By the way, Brother Lindell is a member of our board of directors of World Missions and Evangelism Board of Directors. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, this, this man has been a blessing to WME for years and years, and uh, we love Brother Lindell Gray. And, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, you're invited. And uh, no, no, nothing. If, if you come, bring a Bible and, and some paper to write on. That's all you need. So uh, it's going to be a good time. All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. And uh, it's such a, a joy to, to come and, and, and speak uh, to you all uh, because we love you. And, of course, we love uh, Pastor Lynn and Tammy. I tell you, they are some of our wonderful friends, and uh, it was a joy to be here and celebrate his birthday a few months ago. We had a great time at the birthday party, and, uh, and I, I, I learned that one thing I need to do as quick as possible today is land the plane. I remember that. I learned that, and uh, so hopefully this will be a short flight. The main thing is we want to land. When you're flying, you always want to land. You never want to crash, you know. So we're going to try to land today at some point, but we're, hey, but don't, we're just taking off right now. So, um, but uh, we had a wonderful time. We love uh, Pastor Lynn and, and, and Tammy. They're such a blessing to us, great friends for years and years and years, and we're just so thankful for them and for all of you and for this church. And uh, I want to just talk to you today on a subject. The name of this message is The Truth That Sets You Free. Now, that phrase isn't in Mark chapter 2. That phrase is uh, John 8, 32. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it's been well said that it's not just that the truth will set you free, but you got to know the truth. How many of you know if you don't know it, it won't set you free? And so today we're going to try to get a greater understanding on the truth that will set us free. And when I say set us free today, uh, uh, the, uh, the fact of the matter is that people are bound in different ways. People need to be set free in all kinds of different ways. Some people need to be, well, everybody. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody uh, is born a sinner and in and actual practice is a sinner and needs to be saved and needs to be set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and, and even the presence of sin. Hallelujah. The penalty, you get saved from the penalty of sin when you get uh, regenerated. <laughs> Regeneration and justification is the penalty of sin. Sanctification is the power of sin. And resurrection and glorification is even the present. One of these days, we're gonna, Jesus is going to come get us and we'll be out of the presence of sin. Hallelujah. But we have to be set free. Set free from sin. Set free from bondage. Some people need to be set free from sickness. Set free from disease. Set free from uh, mental torment. There are a lot of people that live their life in mental torment on various things. And God wants you. How many of you know God does not want, it is not God's will that you be sick and die prematurely and be in mental torment or bound in sin? How many of you know God wants all of us to be set free from that? And what Jesus said is, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, uh, so we're going to talk today about the truth that sets us free. And in doing that, I want you to look with me at this story in Mark chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 1. We're just going to read these 12 verses, and here's the word of God. It says, again... He entered Capernaum, Mark 2, 1. Again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was in the house. Immediately, many were gathered together so that there was no room to receive them, not even at the door. And he preached the word to them. They came to him bringing one sick with paralysis, who was carried by four men. When they could not come near him due to the crowding, they, over, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it open, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit 
that they so reasoned within themselves, he said to them, why do you contemplate these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go your way to your house. Immediately, he rose, picked up the bed, went out in front of them all, so they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and Lord, we give this time to you. I pray, Lord, that you will help me, Lord, to speak only what you would have me to speak today. Lead me and guide me. I ask you to guide my thoughts, guide my lips, Lord, to speak that which will be a word from you. And Lord, I pray that every person in this room that's hearing my voice and anybody that ever hears this message on the recording in the future, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will speak through it, Lord. We need to hear from you today, Jesus. We need a word from you. I pray that you will speak through it. And we will not hear just the voice of a human being, but in the midst of it, Lord, we will hear a word from you, Lord, that will set us free, that the truth will set people free today and beyond today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So you know this story, and you've heard this story before, I'm sure, and if not, uh, if it's a new word to you, if it's a new story to you, let me rehearse it to you again. Jesus had, by the way, if you read Mark chapter 1, Jesus had just become famous. Uh, you know, Jesus started his ministry. Nobody knew who he was. He was just a carpenter, uh, and, and he was baptized by, by uh, John the Baptist, and the dove of the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he went out in the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil. He came back, and, and, and different things happened. He had turned water into wine. He had done some miracles. Some different things had happened. But in chapter 1, Jesus began to teach. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus began to teach, and he began to heal. And the very end of chapter 1 says this. It says that a leper came to him who had a terrible disease called leprosy and back in those days leprosy was incurable and it was horrible and everybody was afraid of it and 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 this leper came to Jesus and this leper said to him if you would do it if you were willing you could make me clean you could heal me and Jesus said I am willing be made whole and he was instantly healed now, when Jesus did that specific healing, the Bible says at the end of chapter 1, you can read it on your own, it says at that moment the word went out. That was actually the miracle that made Jesus famous, the healing of the leper. The first leper he healed, that made him famous. And it said from that moment he was so famous that he could no longer enter a town. When the word got out, this guy instantly healed a leper. Then, then nobody could, could get near him from that moment. I mean, crowds of people started following Jesus because of that one miracle. And so Jesus came, now we're in chapter 2, what we just read. Jesus came into Capernaum, and, and the idea is kind of like this. He kind of snuck into Capernaum, and he was at somebody's house. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the Gospel of Luke, perhaps, I think, might indicate that it was Simon Peter's house. Uh, and uh, he was at, at, at Peter's house, I believe, and, and the word got out that he was in there, and the next thing you know, here comes the crowd. Because people said, if this guy can instantly heal leprosy, and so the crowd, sick people, demon-possessed people with every kind of problem under the sun. And, and before you knew it, the house was packed. And how, how, what if that were to happen? By the way, what if at your house this afternoon the word got out that Jesus was there in the flesh? Imagine the crowd you'd have in the living room. And this was the problem that Simon Peter had. He had people in, I mean, every room was crowded, and it said even the door. I mean, you couldn't even get in the doorway. The door was open. People was just stacked all over this place, and you couldn't get near it. And there came these four men who had a friend, and this man was paralyzed, completely incapacitated, and he was on a, on a, on a bed, and they carried him there, and they got there, and, of course, the people are spilling out in the front yard. They can't get in. And they're like, we came to, we, we heard what this guy can do, and we mean to get our friend into him. 
whatever it takes. And somehow, I, don't, I guess they went around back or something, and they climbed up on top of the roof. Can you imagine this? I wonder what Peter's insurance company thought about this on his house. Uh, they climbed up on top of the roof, and they got over about where Jesus is. And back in those days, these, roo these roofs were, were might have thatch, or they might have had brush on the roof, or whatever it was. And uh, there might have been some mud, but it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. They dug through the roof made a hole through the roof and let this guy down on this stretcher and Jesus is in this room crowded with people and here there comes this guy down on the stretcher. Don't you know that had everybody's attention? And the Bible says Jesus looked at this guy and to everybody's surprise and in fact the Pharisees that were there and the scribes that were there to their absolute horror Jesus looked at the man and instead of healing him, he said, your sins are forgiven. And immediately, the scribes and those guys in the room, they were saying, now wait, now, ju now just a minute here. And they said to themselves, who in the world does he think he is? Because only God can forgive sins. And by the way, there was nothing wrong with their theology. I mean, actually, that was that's true. As far as it goes, there, there was nothing wrong with their theology of sin and forgiveness. There was something wrong. Uh, there's, a, there's a portion of, of theology called Christology, the doctrine of Christ. There was something wrong with their Christology. There was not much wrong with their, with their theology of sin. They were right. Only God can forgive sin. What they did not realize is that's God standing right in front of us. What they didn't realize was who it was standing there. And they said, oh, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. And he turned to them and he said, I've got a question for you. Which is easier for me to say? Your sins be forgiven or rise and walk? He said, so for in order for you people to know that the son of man, oh boy, Flashing lights, the term son of man, that doesn't mean a lot to us here, but to those Jewish leaders, they knew that the term son of man was from the book of Daniel, and it was a messianic term. That he was right at that, the minute he used that phrase about himself, he was right then claiming to be the Messiah. He said that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the guy and says, okay, rise and walk, and he's instantly healed in front of their eyes. Glory to God. How many of you love Jesus? I love the fact, Steve, that we sang, Oh, how I love Jesus. That's one of my all-time favorite songs. Oh, how I love Jesus. And he, he, he forgave him and he healed him. Hallelujah. And he went out from there. Now, that's the story. What I want to point out to you quickly this morning is this. There are truths that will set you and me free in this passage right here. And I want to give you three truths this morning. If any of you take notes, you can write these three, da three down. If not, just listen to this. There are three things in this story that are life-changing to every person that hears me today. It doesn't matter. You may have been, you say, well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. That's wonderful. There's still life-changing truths in here. Somebody might say, I don't even know anything about God. Good. You're about to learn something. They're life-changing truths right here. I don't care if you're not saved or if you've been saved 50 years. It doesn't matter. It, either way, uh, by the way, when I say that about saved 50 years, I've been saved 50 years. I have. I got saved when I was six years old. I am 56 years old. <laughs> I've been saved 50 years. I've been spirit-filled for, for 50 years. Start to say 60. I haven't been spirit-filled for 60 Hadn't existed for 60, but in December of 1968, my mom and daddy laid hands on me and I started speaking in tongues. I've been speaking in tongues for 50 years. My goodness gracious. You know, I, I used to think people, anybody could say that was real old, but you don't have to be real old if you get it when you're six years old. Hallelujah. Start early. Glory to God. <laughs> I've been saved and spirit-filled for 50 years. So it doesn't matter if it's me. If you've been saved and spirit-filled for 50 years or 60 years, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. How many of you know there's still, we still, by the way, need to be set free sometimes. 
How many of you know, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with God, the devil tries to put bondage on you. He'll try to attack your mind. He'll try to attack your body. It doesn't matter who you are, how long you've walked with God. We all need to be set free from time to time. And as a matter of fact, let me be honest with you. Yeah, I've been saved for 50 years, but I want to tell you something. The person I identify with the most in this story is that guy on the bed. I've just got to be honest with you. The person in this story that I personally identify with the most is the paralyzed guy on the bed because the truth about it is I've been saved for 50 years, but I am really, really in touch with my weakness. How about you? Actually, the person I identify with in this story, the person that I think of in myself, the encounter I want to have with Jesus is the encounter that man had with Jesus. I, I, want, I, I want to come to him. I don't, want to, I don't want to march into Jesus and say, I've got it all under control, Lord. You don't really need to do much for me. I want to come to him and say, I can't do anything. How many of you know sometimes we can be in a position where we can't even feel like we can get ourselves to the Lord? This guy couldn't even carry himself to the Lord. Somebody else had to carry him. In fact, it's astonishing to me as I look at this first truth and what is the first truth? The truth about this man, the pr truth about this man on the, uh, on, the, on the bed that was brought to Jesus and it's the truth about people. It's the truth about the human condition. Here's the truth. First of all, all of us are like him. What was he like? He was sick. He was broken. He was incapacitated. He was unable to solve his own problem. Somebody said, well, now, wait a minute. I believe I can solve some of my own problems. Yeah, well, there, listen, let me tell you something. If there's something you can do about it, then do it. Right? Sure. I mean, there's things that we can do. There's wisdom we can use. We need to get the wisdom in the word of God and put things into place. But there are some things we can't do anything about. There are some things that are beyond our control. And the truth about it is, when it comes to getting ourselves to heaven, how I many of you know we can't get ourselves there? Amen. We can't work our way there. We can't earn it no matter what we do. We can't. We are not able to. This man was sick. He was broken. He was unable to do anything about himself. And then something else. And, and by the way, every time I've ever preached on this passage of Scripture, I don't think I've necessarily... There's something that just hasn't stood out to me until just recently when I was reading this. And that is the fact, it is true that when we read this, Jesus immediately met his need relative to sin. Jesus, first thing Jesus said was, your sin is forgiven. But I want you to, I just want to point out the word sin. Can I point this out? That Jesus actually used the word sin. He forgave it but he called it what it was. I think when I have spoken on this before, and I've heard other people preach on, uh, on this passage of Scripture at times, I think, or, 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 just, uh, or maybe it's just me. But the point is that sometimes we read this as though Jesus were pra was practicing some kind of psychology on this guy. You know, it's kind of like this guy felt so guilty. He just felt guilty. He just had this terrible self-image. There he was. Part of his problem was he didn't feel worthy. And Jesus said this and just removed the unworthiness from him. As though when Jesus said, your sin be forgiven you, that Jesus was just kind of giving him an encouraging pep talk. No! When Jesus said sin, he was dealing with a reality. Sin is real. How do you know our ultimate problem is that we are sinners? And until we are willing to be honest about that fact, in other words, it is not God's agenda to make us feel good about ourselves. Don't shout me down just because I'm preaching good right now. Here's what I'm saying. It is not God's agenda just to remove self-image issues. I'm not saying that those things aren't real. What I am saying is sin, which is the transgression of God's law, is a reality and it must be dealt with. And to call something a sin is not hateful. Just imagine this. Well, we live in a time, in our nation here, in America, one problem that we face here in the United States that we don't seem to be facing too much in Honduras, that we have some unique challenges up here. 
And one challenge up here in North America, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, except for the food you eat and the water you drink, it's easier down there. Except for the poverty and the living conditions, but when you talk about spiritually, it's harder to get people to see the truth in North America than it is in Central America. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because in North America, we have this facade that doesn't want to admit that anything is an actual sin. That there is a God, and he says, thou shalt, and thou shalt not, and he meant it when he said it. And See, I'm talking about the truth that will set you free. One reason people don't get set free is they will not deal with the truth about themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. It's something that happened to me. It's something over here. It's something. But we until we are willing to admit, God, yes, there is a problem and I need to admit it. Yes, I have sinned. If you can come to the place that you can say, Lord, I will take you and what you say about me to be the truth. See, sometimes, let me... I don't want to blow your mind with this, but sometimes we think we're confessing our sins and we're not. We're just admitting them. There is a difference between admitting your sins and confessing them. So what in the world are you talking about? The word confess, confess, with fess. The word confess in Greek is a word that means Say the same thing. And what confess means in the Bible, when the Bible tells us to confess our sins, it is saying, it is not saying, I admit I did it. It is saying, I say the same thing about it you say, God. See, if any of you are parents, and I was a kid and I had parents, and then Patty and I, my wife Patty here with me, we have a daughter, and she's 30 years old now. But when she was growing up, there were times when I could maybe catch my daughter doing something that I told her not to do, and I caught her, and she'd admit it. She had to admit it. I had her red-handed. I remember the battles we used to have about a clean room. Then she grew up and got married, got her own house, and she's an immaculate housekeeper. I said, what? Who are you? Because she used to live upstairs. She, she was on the second floor there, and we'd go up there, and I would be like, this is ridiculous. This is your mother said clean your room. You must clean your room, or I'm going to let your mother deal with you. And that was more scary than me dealing with her. You know? and, and, and so, I, I, you know, well, she, would, she had to admit she hadn't obeyed, but merely admitting it and seeing it the same way I saw it is two different things. By the way, that's one reason that people, you know, they sin the same sin over and over and over, and they say, well, I confess it, and I sin, I confess it, and I confess it. You're not confessing. All you're doing is admitting. Whew. It's kind of tough, isn't it? But... How many of you know the truth <laughs> will set you free? To confess your sins doesn't merely mean admit it or tell somebody about it. It means you go to God and say, God, I, I not only admit it, I say from the depth of my heart, you are right. This is wrong. I am sorry. I turn from it. There is an element of repentance in confession. Now, that's a whole other story, and I'm not going to go down that road anymore, but how many of you know you've heard a truth today? Until I can call something a sin, I can't be set free from it. Until I can agree with what God says. Basically, repentance is simply agreeing with what God says. It said, God, what you say is right, and I'm willing to acknowledge not only what I did, but I'm willing to acknowledge the, the sinfulness. I'm not going to make an excuse for it. It's, I'm not just admitting it so I don't get punished. I'm literally saying, God, what you said is right about it. This is a truth. The truth about us as people. And remember, I said, I'm identifying. I'm identifying uh, with this. The, the, the truth about 
about us is we are sick, we are broken, we are unable to solve our own problems, we are literally powerless over the bondage that wants to bind us. We do not have, our force of will is not strong enough to change our lives. We are like that man, and, and plus it is sin. It is against God. We have sin, we have sickness, we have brokenness, and we are powerless, and that's the truth, and we need to admit it and come into agreement with God about that very thing. And by the way, sometimes people will say, Brother David, I just don't like to hear you talk about that. I don't want you to say any more about sin. Just stop it because it makes us feel bad. And there are preachers that say, I'll never mention that kind of thing. You never hear, we're only going to be positive. Here's the problem with that. I realize there's truth and there's different facets of truth. But if we don't let people understand, if we don't bring people truly to an understanding that their sins are against God and that they are real, we are actually robbing them of being able to encounter Jesus at the cross. Because your life changes at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if all I am is a pulpit psychologist, if that's all I am is making somebody feel better about themselves but never bringing them to the foot of the cross, I am robbing them of the actual potential of being set free. And that's also the truth. And so, yes, I realize that in the past, and that maybe in the past, and maybe in all of our past, we've run up against Christians or preachers that have been very condemning in the way they do it. And there's some people that seem to delight in seeming to condemn people. And there's a difference between preaching the truth and having a condemning spirit. And God hasn't called us to have a condemning spirit. In fact, we must always bring the grace of God along with us, because if I don't have the grace, I'm going to leave people in hopelessness. So it's one thing to have a condemning spirit and a condemning attitude, but it's another thing to rob people of the opportunity to meet Jesus at the cross. Because after all, what in the world is he doing on that cross? He is there for one reason and one reason only, my sins. My sins put him on the cross. So if I cannot deal with the reality of the fact that sin is real, I cannot meet him at the cross if I cannot bring people there. That's why in Honduras, in these Bible studies, we bring them to an understanding week after week after week. We bring them to a reality of what God's word. We don't just bring them the good news of Jesus. We bring them the bad news of sin first. We take them through the Old Testament. We take them through the Ten Commandments. We take them through an understanding that there, is, that there is a reason that we're broken because only the truth will set you free. Now, although that's the truth, that's not the good news. Actually, the truth about the guy on the, on the mat, that's the bad news. Let's start moving toward the good news. There's the truth about the man, and then there's the truth about Jesus. How many of you know that's the main thing? The truth about Jesus. Because when the man comes through the ceiling and he's hanging there on the ropes right in front of Jesus, Jesus walks up to him and Jesus brings him the good news. And he, said, he, he does call it sin. He said it's your sin, but here's the good news, is forgiven. And then when those, those scribes and Pharisees, they were sitting around going, who does this guy think he is? Jesus looked at them and he told them, the Son of Man has authority on earth to, to do what I just did, to forgive sins. That's the good news. That sin is a reality and that it is sin is a truth. But the other truth and the truth that we got to get to then is that Jesus is the one who has the authority and the power both to forgive and to heal. Glory to God. And what in the world, by the way, what in the world was God saying to us through that? What was Jesus saying? If you want to hold your place there for just a minute because... 
if you want to look at this. I'm going to turn over to one of my favorite scriptures, Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is one of my very favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. And just reading three verses here, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Okay, why don't we just say that out loud together? Say it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Steve, I bet you can sing a song like that, haven't you? You've heard that song. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Verse 2 said, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And, and then it says, here are his benefits. He forgives all. All my sins, and he heals all my diseases. Glory to God. That's Psalm 103, verse 3. By the way, I pray that psalm every day. That, that verse, every day. Every day in my prayer time. Every day, 365 days a year. I pray, Lord, I thank you today. This is one of, of the things that I say in my prayer. I say these words. Lord, I thank you that you, according to Psalm 103.3, you have forgiven all my sins and you have healed all my diseases. Hallelujah. Because how many of you know we need to keep a reminder? Because uh, sin is a reality, and sickness is a reality, but a greater reality is that the Lord forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Glory to God. And by the way, it says he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. And by the way, who does it say did this? Who are we blessing? Bless the Lord O oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not his benefits. And in Hebrew, if you look there in Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, you'll notice that L-O-R-D, uh, the, the, uh, the name Lord, is all capital. So what that means, every time in the King James Version or whatever version of the Bible you're using, if they do this, if it capitalizes all four letters of L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, that is telling you that the underlying Hebrew word is Yahweh. Uh, if, if it's capital L and then little O-R-D, the underlying word is Adonai, which is another name for God. But God's covenant name is Yahweh, and when it's in all capitals, that's telling you that the Hebrew word underneath it is Yahweh. So what that verse actually says is, Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, which is Yahweh. And bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, it is Yahweh who forgives all my sins. It is Yahweh who heals all my diseases. And now we're back in Mark chapter 2 because what Jesus was declaring in this act, in this healing act in front of these people when he turned to them and said, first he said, I forgive your sins because sins are first in Psalm 103.3. I forgive your sins. And then he said, rise and walk because healing is second in Psalm 103.3. In this one one miracle of forgiveness and healing, Jesus was publicly declaring to them, I am Yahweh in the flesh. You are looking at Yahweh God in human flesh right in front of you. In other words, and he didn't say, and he was actually claiming to be Yahweh for he said, I have authority on earth to do it. Hallelujah. By the way, that's the truth that will set you free. The truth that will set you free is the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. By the way, isn't that the confession that the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 10 that gets you saved? That if you will believe, uh, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What that really means is you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Yahweh and you believe in your heart that God the Father has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Glory to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news right there. 
And Jesus is claiming right there that he is God in the flesh. He, is, he not only claimed it by his words, and there are other places where we can see he claimed that in his word, the words that he spoke. But here in this miracle, he demonstrates his deity in a miracle whereby he forgives and then heals, fulfilling what Yahweh does in Psalm 103.3. Hallelujah. That's pretty good theology you're hearing this morning. Glory to God. That's the revelation they didn't have. The, see, the scribes around there, they, had the, they understood only God, only Yahweh. They knew Psalm 103.3. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. They, they were right about that. I can't forgive your sins. I can't, uh, I, can't, I can't get you right with God. But Jesus can. He is God in the flesh. And this is the greatest good news. By the way, I, I, I used to wonder about this. When Jesus would go around for because, you know, Jesus did forgive sins when he was on earth, right? I mean, there's, there are a lot of occasions. This wasn't the only one. This is just the first time that we know of in his ministry where he uttered those words, your sins are forgiven. He did it other places. You know, uh, the, the woman that washed his feet and different things. He, 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 he did that. He said, your sins are for, forgiven. Your faith has saved you. He, he's done that. And, and I always wondered, Lord, how in the world did you save and forgive people? This was before you went to the cross. Because, you know, it was actually what we understand from the Apostle Paul's writings in Romans and Galatians and 1 Corinthians and different places that the reason we can be forgiven is that Jesus was punished for our sins on the cross. That he paid for our sins. He, the reason he had the authority, see, God, even Jesus couldn't forgive sins without punishing those sins. But the good news is, is that at the cross, Jesus took our punishment on the cross. And, and, but Jesus, even before he went to the cross, forgave sins. He even said, your faith has saved you. He, he, did that to, he said that throughout the, the, the Gospels, Jesus went around forgiving sins, and then it dawned on me. Stop and think about this illustration. This is wonderful. Uh, I, I never thought of this before. What if somebody said, uh, the banker came to you. Is any banker? Is anybody that works at a bank here? I'm, if there is, I'm because I'm, I'm going to make the banker the bad guy. Okay, good. Uh, the, the 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 banker comes to you, and and says to you, "Okay, that's it. We're repossessing your house tomorrow, unless the balloon note is due." Uh, you come in with $150,000 at 9 o'clock, Monday morning, 9 o'clock Monday morning, you come in with $150,000 uh, to our office or else we repossess the house. And, 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 you're, and you don't have $150,000, you, you got $150. I mean, you, there's no way. And you're like, God, I don't know how, how in the world am I going to, how in the world I, I, I'm going to lose the house. That's all there is to it. And, 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 and they're demanding $150,000 in the morning, and I have, I have no way to get it. I, 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 absolutely no possible way of getting that. But, oh, by the way, you have a friend whose name is Bill Gates. Anybody ever heard of him? And Bill Gates hears about your dilemma and flies in to Nashville and gets out of the plane and, and drives up here. Actually, he flies his private jet to Gilbertsville. What am I thinking? And, 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 he, and he comes over here uh, and uh, he, uh, tomorrow morning, you go to the bank, and, but when you walk into the bank, Bill Gates walks in with his arm around you. And Bill Gates walks up to the banker and says, uh, I hear you were going to repossess my friend's house uh, today. And the banker recognizes him. He's just like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, actually, he's the second richest man in the world right now, I think. I think he's uh, still that Bezos guy's ahead of him. But anyway, uh, about $100 billion is all he has. But anyway, he, uh, I don't know how he gets by. He uh, has his arm around you, and, and he looks at the banker, and he says, uh, 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 look, I want to tell you something. My name is Bill Gates. Yes, sir, I recognize you. Uh, you can mark uh, his bill as paid. Uh, his house is paid off. I am going to pay his bill. All right? Now, and then Bill Gates says, oh, you know what? I left my checkbook in the plane. But, the, but I'm just telling you it's paid off. And, and, and what does the banker say? Sir, that, that's fine. We'll, we, you can, we'll, we'll let you get the money and bring it in because we know you're good for it. 
you you got it covered. You 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 and 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 Gates looks at the banker and says, and by the way, if you give him any more problem at all before I get back here, I'll buy the bank and fire you. Hallelujah. And see, because the banker says, yes, sir, the bill is paid even before he writes a check because he knows it's good for him. When Jesus said to that man, your sins are forgiven, he hadn't shed the blood yet, but the blood was in his veins. He could go ahead and remit sins because that precious blood that will pay the price was pumping through his living heart at that moment. Later on, he went to the cross and emptied his account empty for you and for me and for that man and for the sinner on the cross next to him and for everybody and every sin that would ever be sinned by anybody from Adam and Eve to the end of time. He paid the price on that cross but even before he opened the veins of his eternal check book he had the resources necessary to remit the sins glory to God he said I have authority to remit sins now for it to be good he actually did have to go to that cross and he did have to pay the price the good news for you and me that man came down through the ceiling before Jesus went to the cross you and I need to understand the debt has already been paid Glory to Jesus. Why don't we just lift our hands for a minute and thank the Lord that he has already paid our debt. This is the truth that will set you free. By the way, he's already taken the stripes on his back for your healing. Hallelujah. He has paid the debt for your sin. He has taken, he has suffered for your sickness. He wore the crown of thorns on his head so that the mental torment from your head might be taken away. That every bondage, he was bound and carried to that cross that every rope of bondage would be broken off of you. Hallelujah. That's the good news. That's the good news. And he has the authority. And the third truth is this. And I know... You've been waiting for this. I'm about to land the plane. Hallelujah. Or we might circle just one time. The third truth has to do with those four men that took him to Jesus. And that is the truth about us, the truth about human beings is that left to ourselves, we are sinners. We are sick. We are incapacitated. We can't change our own lives. But the truth about Jesus is that he is Yahweh in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. And he came to set you free. And he has already paid your debt. That's the truth that will set you free. If you'll believe it. By the way, going back to my illustration, if you won't believe it, they're going to take the house. Do you see this? What if you, even though you've got the resource there, if you turn to Bill Gates and say, I can do this on my own. Go away from me. I'm not going to accept your charity. Then you're left with whatever your own works can produce. But we know that we'll never be able to pay the debt. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. It's Jesus or nothing. He's the only way. The truth about us is sin and sickness. The truth about Jesus is he is God who saves, delivers, and heals. The truth about ministry, the truth about ministry, and by the way, every one of you are called to the ministry. We're doing this training up there this week, and we train people all through Latin America, and we're training ordinary Christians. We're not training preachers and teachers and pastors. There's a place for that. We actually do that also for those that are going to lead the church. We have all that as a part of our mission down there. But the people we're training to make disciples are disciples. It's sheep that give birth to sheep. And we're training every believer how to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And, 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 and God has a call for every one of you to be not only ministered to, but to be a minister. God has a call for every one of us and you may have one gift and somebody else have another gift regardless of what gifts you have or don't have you are called to minister 
But here's what I want. Sometimes that sounds like, oh, wow, that's really something. The truth about it is all ministry is, you don't have to save anybody. You don't have to forgive their sins. You don't have to heal them. You, all ministry is, is getting people to Jesus by whatever means necessary. Even if you have to climb on top of a roof and break tradition. You know, there's a traditional way to do it. You just go through the front door. I mean, most people got to that meeting that day by just walking down the street in Capernaum and walking into Peter's courtyard and just walking through the front door. It's all right. Some people come to Jesus that way. So there were, everybody was, most people that were in that, almost everybody that was in there came in that way. Almost everybody that was in there came in that way. Just like you could drive up, people can drive up here to church today. And all of us walked in the doors of the church. And we sat in a pew. And we worship God. And we're listening to a sermon. And this is one way that people come to Christ. And it's, in fact, it's the way that most people come to Christ. Almost all of us have come to Christ in some method like this. I was saved in a church in 1968. I was saved when I was six years old at the altar of the Calvary Baptist Church in Glasgow, Kentucky, where my daddy was preaching a revival. He was a spirit-filled preacher. They didn't know it. Actually, they did know it. The pastor knew it. Both, both the evangelist and the pastor were tongue-talking. It was just the rest of the church people didn't know it. Hallelujah. My daddy was preaching a revival at the Calvary Baptist Church in Glasgow, Kentucky in September of 1968 and I got saved there. Hallelujah. I walked in there and I came to the altar when they gave the altar call. And there is nothing wrong with that. That is a way that most, most people walked right in the house that day. They just walked right in the door. But sometimes there are people that for whatever reason, for whatever reason, whether it's their culture or whether it's an op opposition of the devil or whether something has got them bound on that bed of sin, whatever it is, they can't walk. They can't get themselves in. And even if they got there, the door is shut. They can't get through the door. But somebody had to pick them up climb to the roof, dig through the ceiling, and let them down. It doesn't matter whether it's in Starbucks or your living room or the front of the church, wherever you and I are, get somebody to Jesus. That's all ministry is. Ministry is not preaching. Preaching is one form of ministry. Preaching is one particular gifting in ministry. Some people are called to it. Uh, 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 teaching is one form of ministry. Worship singing is a form of ministry. But I'm here to tell you that whatever you do, if you're having a cup of coffee with somebody and you're leading them to study the Bible together with you or you're reaching out to, in whatever way, what, what you're doing is you're getting people to Jesus. And the truth about it is that's all that matters because he's the only one that can save deliverance and heal. And the truth about it is if anything happens to anybody here this morning, it'll be because it won't be because of me preaching. It'll be because if anything happens to anybody this morning positive, it'll be because somehow by faith somebody got to Jesus. And my whole job today is to get your eyes off of me and off of anything and anybody else other than Jesus Christ. And to look to him because the Bible says this. You and I can't see him, but Jesus himself said, anytime even two or three of you are together in my name, I'm in there. So I got news for you. You don't see him, but he's right here. Oh, yes. Jesus is in this room right now. And through the reading of the word and through even some of the words that I'm saying, to the degree that you receive them and to the degree that God anoints them, you're actually not hearing me. You're hearing him. And it's Jesus that is saying to you today, I love you. It's Jesus that is saying to you, I have paid the price for your sins. It's Jesus that comes to you today and says there's hope and there's hope in me. It's Jesus that speaks to you today and say if you'll come to me today and simply be willing to say what you say is true, Jesus. What you say about my life is true. What you say about my behavior is true. I, I can, I'm not admitting. I'm confessing. I'm saying you're right and I want your will in my life. I'm wanting to conform to your will. I want your leadership, your guidance. I want you to forgive me, Lord, of my sin. I turn from everything. Lord Jesus, I need healing in my body. I need a touch in my mind. I'm calling out to you, Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm here for you right now. 
And that's all ministry is. Ministry is never anything more and never anything less than getting somebody to Jesus. There's a lot of other religious activity, but that's just religious activity. But ministry is getting somebody to Jesus Christ. Steve, would you come back up here and, and just uh, minister in, in music or a song behind us as we get ready to pray today? So that's it today, folks. That's the good news. By the way, that's the truth that will set you free. And not just you. You may be saying, Brother David, I really don't feel too bound today. That's right. But remember, God's called you to ministry. That's the truth that will set everybody else free. You and I are called to, to go set the captive free. We set them free by getting them to Jesus. By getting them to Jesus. That's all it's about. It's not about anything else. It's just about get them to Jesus. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. Let's bow our heads here this morning. Father God, I thank you that we've had an opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus today. Lord, I thank you for your shed blood. I thank you the price has been paid. It's already been paid. My sins have been punished on the cross in the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for being willing to do that. I thank you that you love us so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I thank you for that good news. I thank you for the truth. Lord, I'm I'm willing to admit the truth to you, Lord, that I myself most identify with that man on the mat. That's who I see myself to be more than anything else. I see myself, Lord, as being somebody that just needs to encounter you. And Lord, I come to you that way today. I ask you to heal, bless, forgive, set free every person in this room today in Jesus name I pray for a real encounter with Jesus Christ for every person in this room under the sound of my voice right now in Jesus name in Jesus name I want you to stand to your feet right now and I just want to say this if you say brother David I would just like to say yeah